Hey there, everybody, and welcome. This is Dr. T. Tavo DRC, the overseer of the DFW Leader Online Ministry Fellowship for Males and Females anywhere around the globe. And we welcome you today. I'm going to be talking about ministry. If you say you're born again, you say you're a Christian, you represent Christ, you're an office minister, a Bible carrier, then you want to make sure you're representing the right, authentic Jesus. And we're going to start with his prophecy about the word of the coming Messiah in 11, chapter 11 of Isaiah 1 through 4. And it said, this is what they were foretold, they said, and out, let's see, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow forth out of his root. A rod is authority, and the stem of Jesse means on Mary, his mother's side, not the Levi, the critical spirit. But a branch shall grow forth out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and counsel, the Spirit of counsel and might, understanding, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Let me read that again. These are the seven spirits of God without any carnal human ego that filled the book of Acts, that filled Christ, but his power and authority were calm, sensible, and centered in the Lord, not in some kind of need for a quest for identity. And the Spirit of the Lord is one, shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, that's two, the Spirit of understanding, three, the Spirit of counsel, might, that's four and five, the Spirit of knowledge, which is six, and the fear of the Lord. You know, the Master, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, and this shall all, all these shall mark it, make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor make decisions. That means reprove after the hearing of his ears. In other words, he would have all the prophetic gifts and ministry, the intuitive seer gifts, the ability to discern people from afar, the innermost things. Yet he was quickened in that by the in his perception and discernment by the fear of the Lord, the holy fear of the Lord in a relationship with his Father. And he will not judge after the sight of his eyes. That means he wouldn't base his, his he wouldn't accuse or judge, but he also wouldn't judge based on the facts. He would based on what his spirit said, what the Lord revealed to him. And it wouldn't be this critical judgment of the accuser. All right. Neither will he reprove by the hearing of his ears. That means if he heard an evil report, he wouldn't let it happen. He wouldn't allow it. That means he wouldn't use gossip, hearsay, the, like I said, the evil report to make his discernment, and he wouldn't tolerate any evil. What we're doing today is trying to say, what do we want to really represent in ministry when we say we're an office prophet or a Christian or a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic or a Charismatic? Do we want to represent the Messiah, the authentic Messiah, as leader, or do we want to represent the accuser, which is based on a lot of people's getting back into the law, getting confused, not having really a powerful sense of who God is or the Father is in His nature. So I'm going to really go forth and talk more about that. You can read the rest of the chapter. It's very important. But these are the character traits of ministry we really want to populate. I will add verse 4, but with righteousness, not self-righteousness, not accusation, shall he judge the poor. He'll take pity on the poor. He'll do their best to come forth with justice and judgment on behalf of the poor. 
the needy. He would reprove with equity that equity that's fairness for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth. That's coming eventually in the day of revelation, the end times, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Now that's another topic for another thought for later, another day. Right now, let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to pre-law, pre-sin. There was no need for any kind of sin protection or correction, error, reproof. There was no need for any assessment of sin because there was none <clears throat> in the garden when God first formed the earth. And if you read back prior to the law, prior, prior to Genesis 3, you'll notice that there was no accusation either. There was no sin consciousness because there was no sin. There was no need for the law. It was all about healthy, joyful beginnings of a what should have been an eternal relationship for all eternity with the firstborn man named Adam formed of the ground with the relationship that was private before Eve when God told him, you know what, Adam, I've given you this great garden. You can have anything you want in it any time. Just don't eat of that one tree. And that was a a position, a statement of trust, but also a test. Would Adam obey God, love him enough, honor him enough to just deny himself one thing? Later on, after Eve is formed, and let me say this, Eve was formed out of Adam's DNA, so she's not second rate, second class, nor to be controlled. So Eve comes along, and somehow she knows about it, because by the time we get to Genesis 3, both of them are aware that there is one tree in the garden, and there is forbidden fruit, just one tree. So they have their choice to please God or self. Well, out of the book, you know, out of eternity comes the accuser, the serpent, the snake, who's been warring up in heaven, and you can see the history of that over in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 11, which is also the reason for Jesus coming in that scripture, what went on, the mutiny in heaven, and then what happened as a result of Jesus' victory and why he was sent on the earth to shut the mouth of the accuser, give the church back the power of self-government that it lost so they wouldn't rise up and accuse or character assassinate, gossip, or abuse the basic believers in the church. But it says that they overcame him because of what went on on the cross. All the pride, all the self-pity, all the things that caused people to accuse people, abuse people, hurt people, was nailed to the cross because self-government was given back to the church. Self-control when the Holy Spirit came. But that's a whole talk, but it does tie in with our ability to train on it, to overcome the accuser. It says that he, that means the church, they overcame him. Who's him? The accuser, deceiver. They overcame him with the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they let love not their life unto death. They had the strength to forgive everybody, no matter what, if they were attacked, die for the Lord if necessary, and they also had the strength not to curse anybody out, rumor monger, have child abuse, wife abuse, and all sorts of things. Amazing. That's just a, you know, priming the pump to think on that topic. So we look at what's going on today under the name of Christ following. I'm aware of people who think that if you say you're born again or a minister, that you're there to beat them down, be a homophobe. I'm there because I also remember in the growing up, the 
sound in the back of my mind, not my pastor father, he was the opposite, and my mother, who are Christians, but people on TV or the collective thought, you know, there's some Pharisee beating people down with his Bible, people beating people up and saying they're burning in hell, and you know, you're going to die in hell because you're a homosexual, you're going to die in hell because you've sinned, you are the, you know, calling people harlots, and maybe that's extreme, but it happened, and a lot of people are out there with that in their mind. Maybe it's from movies or TV or they're hypocrites in their family or people who put them down. That's why I'm mentioning this, to not be compromising, condoning PC, but to not enable or represent the accuser when there's no fault finder in the Messiah. And I'm going to give a few litmus tests of how you can prove that scripturally. One is, if you go to Genesis 1 and 2, there's no sin, there's no garden, uh, carnality. But when the serpent comes and the test comes, then Adam and Eve, man and woman, are both tested. Adam has been first told, because he's chain of command, head of home, head of planet at the time, the governor. Eve is the governor's wife, but there's still that authority chain of command that God holds them responsible and accountable. So when the serpent comes, he lies and deceives Eve. He accuses. See, this is it. That's why we call him the accuser. And I hate to say it, but the accuser, when mentioned in the Bible, is only mentioned in the tone of a gender of a male in Genesis 3 and Revelation 12. Yes, a lot of people love to talk about the Jezebel, and it's in the woman. And I don't say that all men are accusers. And I don't say all women are Jezebels. So we have to make it respectful, but maybe because most males are authority, heads of home, parents, historically in the church, all around the world, leaders, that that authority they have, that they need sometimes to be strong, is often perverted by out-of-control behavior, anger, rage, or accusation, abuse in authority, as in parents out of control, but not everyone not, I really never knew anybody, really, until I later on in my life when I grew up. All the men I knew were strong, head of home, Christian, but they had self-control. Nobody ever cursed anybody or beat them down or was biased or bigoted. Thank God. So we look at the picture of the Messiah that we want to paint as a prophet. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 talks about the difference between the Old Testament prophet and the New Testament prophet. Hebrews 2 says that in the former days, that's the Old Testament, God used the prophets to speak to the elders, the fathers, using diverse manners. Man, were they diverse. If you read the Old Testament prophets, they were wild. Signs and wonders of Elijah called down fire. One man lay on his side for three and a half years, I believe, naked as a sign. There's Noah in the, you know, there's Noah, there's Jonah, there's all these different ones. So a lot of people in the New Testament and I've studied this in the prophetic movement since the early 90s, a lot of people have sort of gone overboard not knowing a difference between the Old Testament craggier, crankier prophet and the one in the New Testament that represents the Messiah Christ. A lot of people will look back and say, well, you know, in the old days, God spoke to the prophets, to the people by the prophets. Why? Why didn't they hear because that wasn't the time. They didn't have the ability to get Jesus in their heart, have the Holy Spirit and God communicate individually. Instead, they had to go by the prophet, getting the word of the Lord, giving it to the king, the rulers, and the people, 
and then they would either choose to obey and follow it or not. Isaiah 11, 2, and 3 is a role model for the New Testament prophet. Let's talk about Hebrews 1, 1, and 2. After the Old Testament, it says that in the the new days, that means New Testament day, the church, God would use speak to us by his son. He is the prophet of all prophets. He is the chief apostle of the whole work of the church globally, forever, eternally. And we can also say, Revelation 19.10, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, if you say you represent the spirit of prophecy and you represent the testimony of Jesus, you cannot make it an accuser, biased, demon-seeing, Jezebel calling names, witch-watching, dark demons spying all the time, but you have to use the model of Christ in the New Testament. Isaiah 11.2, of course, as a prophet, but in Hebrews, excuse me, Acts 10.38, Jesus went about doing good, healing all those were, who were oppressed by the devil and the Lord was with him. So Jesus went about by, led by the Holy Spirit, but he interacted. He was relatable. He was had an authority, but he wasn't a big ego. He didn't demand everyone bow and scrape or that nobody get too close to his holy cassock. He didn't have a big persona. I guess you'd say he was not a celebrity. He was renowned eventually after 